Hello, and welcome to A Joyful Pause Podcast. I am so excited for our guest today, Tracy Stanley. She is a noted and lineage teacher of yoga nidra, meditation, and self-inquiry practices. She is the co-founder of the Empowered Wisdom Yoga Nidra School and created the Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Oracle Deck. Tracy teaches internationally and has online classes available at Commune, Yoga Journal, Unplug Meditation, Pranamaya, and Wanderlust TV. And she is also the author of the newly released Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. Tracy, hi, welcome. Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. I've been watching your book release from afar. So excited for you. And um, thinking of the last time I saw you when we had dinner at that awesome place in Philly and just mm. um, just dazzled and pleased um, to see how many people are responding to the wisdom that you're sharing and how much that wisdom is so perfect for where we are right now. Oh, thank you. That means um, a lot to me coming from you. <laughs> mm. So thank you. Mm, thank you. So um, in thinking about this series of interviews that I'm going to be doing, I'm really thinking a lot about this theme of emergence, really coming out of um, a year of mostly being in the home uh, due to COVID. We have had huge strides um, in terms of people waking up to systemic racism in America. And, um, and we did not all experience either of those things the exact same way, and yet it impacted all of us. So when I think about emerging from those twin um, really impactful experiences, I really step into wonder. And I think about knowing what we know now, what do we want to create? Because we have an opportunity not to just go back to whatever normal was, we have an opportunity to really do something different internally, to behave differently with one another, and to create new structures and ways of being, which um, really lights me up. So first, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Like, do you see this moment as a moment of emergence? And how do you feel radiant rest helps to meet that? Mm, I love that question. So first of all, yes, I definitely feel like this has been a multitude of moments of emergence. And you know, when I think of emergence, I think of rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is this opportunity and has been this opportunity for the last 14 months to really observe the transitions. And I think the first time that it felt really um, potent as a transition was when we were all kind of pretty much globally locked down. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in that space, if we were present to it, we really got to see what was bubbling up on the surface and then even deeper. And then we got to see maybe what was not working in our lives. 
something that if we hadn't been in this transition, if we hadn't been in the pause, we could have easily just kind of skipped over and said, I don't have time to deal with this. I don't have time to look at this. I can distract myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the emergence and awakening that has happened specifically around the three pandemics that we are currently experiencing between racial injustice, COVID, climate crisis, that we got to wake up to that only because of the fact that we were in this transition all at the same time. And so I feel like any time that there is a transition and there is a pause, we get to decide what are we going to do in that space of the pause? Mm -hmm. And who do we want to be when the pause is over? And I think that, at least my experience was that because we had so many different transitions and pauses of the many things that happened over the last 14 months, we actually got to have an opportunity, I think, to kind of deepen our relationship with the unknown. Because I think that there were a lot of people in the beginning with the first lockdown that was like, oh, this is just going to be a few weeks and then it's going to be over. And then when it wasn't over, it was like, okay, now there's this this other wave of awareness that's actually happening around racial injustice and inequality that then came up to be looked at and could not be looked away from because we were in the transition. I think if we had not been in the pause, um, some of the things that have happened as far as people becoming more aware would not have happened. So we got to see like an emergence of awakening happening. Um, And then people also having time to reimagine and to daydream and to collaborate and to have conversations that we just maybe didn't have time to do before. They didn't seem as important or as urgent. And we got to really see like what's really happening in the world. So to answer your question about how that relates to Yoga Nidra is, I really feel like Yoga Nidra is this practice that attunes us to the transitions between the states of consciousness. And when we do that practice enough, it starts to wake us up to all the transitions that are happening in our quote unquote waking life. And I feel like the practice of Yoga Nidra allows us to mine the epiphanies, the inspirations, the downloads, the wisdom. And it gives us a way without being linear to kind of come up with solutions that we may not have come to with just our thinking mind because we're moving away from the physical body and we're moving away from the machinations of the mind as we go deeper and deeper into the practice. Um, And then another thing that I think is interesting is that the etymology of the word nidra, as I understand it, is that the ni refers to void and dru refers to that which is revealed or to draw forth from the void. Wow. 
So That's it's li- perfect. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's like literally an emergence from the void. It's like we get to be reborn every time we do this practice because we're literally kind of in this kalpa, like, you know, between creation and recreation every time we we lay down to do the practice of yoga nidra. And I feel like that's what we're also in just in this time is that things are being dismantled and recreated. Yes, I love that. There's so much rich, richness there, both the idea of this practice allows us to be awake for and participate with transitions rather than being at the effect of them. Mm-hmm. And that feels so important for moving into a generative creative space of, okay, that happened. And now what do we want to do? What do we want to create? How do we want to be? And what can emerge? Because this is new. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. We're not the same. Um, so I love that idea of this is a practice that every day you can do that gives you the felt experience of that space so that when you're moving through that space in your day, it's familiar to you, it sounds like. that Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's exactly, at least that's been my experience is that it's familiar and it's like, oh, okay, I've been here before. And what I get to understand is that I'm not going back to, let's say, quote unquote, normal, because things have already changed, they've already shifted. And my consciousness just has not caught up with it yet. Mm. So if I can just be still, and I can, I can really attune myself to discernment, which to me, one of the first things is stillness and listening. I can listen to what needs to be created, what is being called to be creative, as opposed to being in the mind and trying to come up with something clever. I'm actually coming up with something that is like literally emerging from me. Me not being the personality, but me being the true self. Yeah, emerging from source instead of from all of those overlays or the past conditioning is what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's wonderful. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. <laughs> um, so we, we already kind of went into this question about what role does it play in the creative process of building a new and part of what I'm up to and asking you that question is, um, I just had read the most amazing quote from Angela Davis about what abolition actually is. Mm. And I thought it was fascinating because um, she says that, let me find this quote. Yeah, abolition is not primarily a negative strategy. It's not primarily about dismantling, getting rid of, but it's about re-envisioning. Mm-hmm. It's about building anew. And so I, that really moved me because I think we have. it takes all kinds to create something new. Some of us are really good at the dismantling piece. 
and we need those folks. And some of us are more in our genius when we are building a new and we need those folks. And so I loved that her definition reminded me of, of how important it is to be able to draw on the skill of building a new and um, let's just talk a little bit more about how Nidra supports us in doing that. Yeah, I mean, building a new, I remember um, at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of first lockdown, I was thinking, wow, I bet there's going to be so much innovation that happens during this time. Mm-hmm. And so much re-envisioning which I love because it's basically like you're looking at what's what is in existence and then imagining and having the time to daydream about how it can be different and then actually being able to have the courage to move forward with it, especially if it is connected to your dharma. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really what you were just speaking to is that there's some people, like you said, that are really great at the dismantling and there's some people who are great at the visioning and there's some people who are going to be great at putting the structures together um, mm-hmm. to make things happen. And I, I really believe that practices like Yoga Nidra really help to connect us to our purpose, mm. to be really clear about what's not in alignment, what's not resonant. And so on the one hand, I think it connects us more clearly to be able to know what it is that we're here to do, and then to have the courage to be able to do it, and then to be able to have the vision. And I feel like that wisdom and that knowing is part of what is available in the transitions in those spaces in between the in the hypnagogic and the hypnopompic states where we get to kind of hover and there is access to i feel like other levels of information um and then for me i really love to free write after my practices so that i kind of can retain the information, the feeling of what happened during the practice, what emerged from the practice. Um, because so often I feel like, you know, we practice and then we roll up the mat and get on with the day. Um, and I feel like the practice of journaling or free writing allows us to just strengthen the retention and it's really the retention, not just of like memory retention, but it's like the remembrance of who we are and what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah, that remembrance is so important. And creating space to be able to touch that on a daily basis is so important. Thank you for that. Mm. I appreciate you bringing up um, the practice of free writing as a way to um uh, deepen and integrate experiences. And I really appreciated your um, Empowered Life Self-Inquiry deck for that. I think that especially for those of us that um, 
love to take workshops and always, you know, learning, it's so important to make sure that we're integrating as we go along, that it's not just kind of constantly filling the cup with information and wisdom and then never taking the time to really seed it in our being. So I appreciate, um, I appreciate that piece about ways that you do that. And it seems to me that Nidra also does that. Do you see Nidra also as, um, as much as it's support for, an, as much as it is support for being in the liminal space, do you also see it as support for integrating some of the really intense experiences that we've had over the last year? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned doing workshops and, you know, we've certainly done, I, I, I could lose count of how many workshops we've done together over the years, (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of times we, we kind of show up to those places with an extractive mentality. Mm. Um, it's like, and, and I think that Western yoga is very much like that. It's like, what can I extract? What can I get from this? What's going to, what's going to happen from this practice? How am I going to take these practices and um, share them? Or how is it going to look in a certain way? And I really feel like one of the things that we should think about is just creating a relationship with any practice it is that you are engaging in, whether whatever practice, whether it's meditation or yoga nidra, because what the fruit of what is kind of given to you. um, It's generative, but you also have to kind of give back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the giving back is part of the birthing of the creation that comes from the practice. Um, So for me, you know, in writing um, the book, I actually wrote the book, not from mostly from my dad, my writing desk, but from my yoga nidra nest. And really just allowed myself to practice yoga nidra, and then start writing. And then when I felt like I was getting too much into the head, you know, I would either start chanting or playing my hang drum or go back into Nidra and then start writing again. And so it felt more like I was translating mm-hmm. and yeah, less like I was the one doing anything. And I feel like that's a place that a lot of times we don't learn or no one tells us that that's a possibility. Yes. You know, it's, it's yeah. really like a mental thing. And when we get, and at least for me, when I felt like I was getting caught up in too much thinking and also it meant that I need to, needed to be really aware of the cycles of how my um, creativity works. And I know that I'm much more creative from 4.30 in the morning until like 11.30 in the afternoon. And after that, I could research and I could read and do all those things. But my creativity 
was would kind of wane by that point because I don't know if it was because the sun was high in the sky and I, my mind was more active. But I think knowing what your creative flow is and then creating space around that to honor it and then doing practices like yoga nidra and free writing or free drawing, you know, because some people are, words are not their thing. So maybe it's art, maybe it's poetry, maybe it's photography, but going out and doing the thing while you're still in the vibration of being able to hold whatever it is that comes forward for you after practice. That's wonderful. I just, I love that because it sounds like the felt direct experience of co-creating life with the divine. You Mm. know, that it's not like this. And I've had those moments where you feel like you're in this dance and you're so held And whatever the course of action is, it's okay because you are creating this with energy. And then I've had experiences of like, not that, you know? So I really (laughs) love um, the reminder. It feels like a reminder to me that while I might choose to access that space from doing my Vishoka meditation or doing my recitation, that Nidra is another way that really allows us to feel that sense of co-creation even when we emerge from from the practice absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah. i'm also appreciating this leaving behind the extractive mentality and moving toward a relational mentality i really deeply appreciate that that something really shifts um I had an experience recently, which was wild to me that I don't think just writing about this, I don't think I realized how much for probably a decade, I just kind of, it's a weird way to put it, but I feel like I was almost like wailing away at my mantra. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like hardcore going after it. And then I learned a different approach. And instead of wailing on this thing, I'm now really relaxing into being held. And it is a completely different experience, not only from the perspective of, I mean, in some ways I could say like Ayurveda would say, wailing at your mantra is a pitic approach. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> You know, and so that is so ingrained in me to go after stuff. And what's for me to learn is this piece of resting into it rather than going after it. And that's what was that's what I was connecting to when you said leaving behind that extractive mentality. And in some ways, you know, we have to learn. I shouldn't say have to, but for me, it's helpful to learn a process. Mm. It's helpful to have, um, you know, ritual and routine those are supports to keep moving toward Abhyasa, that that endeavor to be there. And then there was the resting into it instead of using those supports to keep wailing away at it. So I'm hearing from you as well that radiant rest is a way to kind of flex that muscle of 
this other thing that a lot of us really do need to learn, which is to rest into rather than going after. Mm, I love, I love everything you just said. And yes, it's, it's true. And I think that part of that um, can help, part of that shift can happen when we let go of only thinking about yoga nidra in one way, which is generally the mm -hmm. technique, mm -hmm. right? We're usually thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this practice because I'm going to get this and it's a practice. But if we think about yoga nidra as a state of consciousness mm -hmm. and, and when you speak about vishoka meditation, I can immediately go to that place that my vishoka meditation takes me to mm -hmm. be because it's embodied right and mm -hmm. i can feel that and i also know that it for me can be very similar to yoga nidra mm -hmm. and so i have a relationship with that state of consciousness or that place that i go to and then if i also think about yoga nidra as the divine mother mm as a you know personification of the goddess in the form of sleep and repose then i also have another layer of relationship with yoga nidra and i think those things start those kind of reframes around what it means to practice starts to change and become a relationship you know it's almost like when you do a fire ceremony at some point you're doing the fire ceremony and it's kind of like, oh, there's the fire and the fire is just, you know, you know, you're putting the, the samagri into the fire. And then mm -hmm. at some point after maybe doing a few fire ceremonies, you start to actually notice that the fire has a personality. Mm -hmm. The fire has an energy. And the fire is actually communicating with the person who is leading the fire ceremony. And it feels like now fire is not just an object that I can extract something from. It's has, it's just like another entity that has an energy and has a life and has an intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like those types of subtleties start to awaken the more we practice yes it's yes and it's bringing that peace i felt myself exhale deeply when you said that the fire has um an intelligence and and you're participating with that and that that feels like a foundation upon which we could build entirely new structures. Like if we were to begin relating to everything mm -hmm. as if it had an energy, a purpose, a life, like how would we be? You know, there wouldn't be, first of all, if we related to our each of our fellow humans like mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. no matter what, that could be a revolution in and of itself. Because, you know, 
really being able to see each other in our fullness, in our wholeness, no matter how we're showing up. And it's not to say that we would just allow heinous acts to happen, but it's to say that we would never lose touch with what and who that being actually is, regardless of how they're choosing to show up. And then how would we treat the earth mm-hmm. knowing that, like I'm sitting in front of um, a window at the back of my house right now, there's this huge tree with some purple blossoms and I feel it's aliveness. And then there's other moments where I'm just typing away and I don't even notice how it's pulsing, you know? So it's like, what would be different if that, was the way that we interacted with whatever we encounter. And I think it's super interesting to think about that animate or inanimate objects as well. What do you think of that? I feel like that is what yoga is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it is literally, I, I feel, feel as though it would be very difficult to recognize the fullness of another human and the 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 absolute truth if you haven't recognized it within yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that being in nature and I know how much you love nature as do I mm-hmm. allows us to really see the cycles of death and rebirth and to understand that we plant seeds and those seeds will bear fruit depending on how the environment and the dharma of the seed mm-hmm. so if we want to think about how we're going to wake up to what's happening on the earth Go plant a garden, literally, and tend to that garden and see how the reflection of how you tend to that garden is versus how you tend to your life and how you tend to your relationships. And notice that the plants also have intelligence. And I think the answer you know, you, you asked the question, like, what would happen? And I feel like what would happen would be where we started at the beginning is a reemergence, a re-envisioning, a waking up, which is part of what we saw over this period of 14 months. It's the, the, the real lesson for me is don't go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go back to sleep. I love that. I love, I appreciate what you just said about it starts within. That brings me to something that, um, you know, I think in talking about and sharing practices that feel individual, I sometimes get questions from folks about, well, but I want to do things for the community. And my answer is always to the extent that we can 
touch that in us, we'll be able to offer that to our communities. And to the extent that that is not available in us, I'm just not sure how sustainable it would be to be able to do that in your community. So can you speak a little bit more to the connection you see between someone doing their Nidra practice and that rippling out into community impact? Yeah, and um, thank you for speaking to this because I think it's really important. And I I work with and mentor um, people who are working in their communities and doing anti-racism work. And it's something that I talk about with them all the time is, you know, you know, with the, like the most kind of um, basic version of that would be you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on the deeper level, it's like we're asking people to do this work of waking up, of recognizing and owning um, their mental constructs and belief systems and really sitting and looking at them. Um, looking at trauma and how trauma and intergenerational trauma affects everything. Mm-hmm. And, but we have to end at the same time, I think the ultimate goal um, with working f- with communities is liberation, mm-hmm. which is literally identical to the goal of yoga. And so we know what's needed in order for us to be able to move towards that goal of liberation and yoga is a tremendous amount of tapas. Mm -hmm. And if we run from the friction that is created from the discomfort and we don't enter into any kind of self-study or any kind of vichara practices along with what we're doing, um, I would say that that could be a little bit of spiritual bypassing, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to be able to look at all of the and understand, I think, this, the the impact of samskaras and vasanas and how that concretizes into personality and habits and even projections onto other people. Yeah. And without that, I think it's it becomes more difficult to help others when they get to this really deep place where it inevitably happens where you feel stuck, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can only go as far, you can only lead someone as far as you have gone yourself. Yes. And it's not to say that however far that is, it's wonderful to just like, you know, keep going because at some point if someone feels stuck and they're not getting the support they need from you or in their community, hopefully they will go and find another path or another teacher that will help them uh, or another book, whatever that is, to help them move beyond the stuckness. But it's still going to require some discomfort and really looking at what's happening inward. That's just my own opinion. And, And I agree with you wholeheartedly that the work has to be done um, inside first. And I think the impact that you can have on your communities is far, far greater. And the practice of yoga nidra 
really gives us a refuge to be able to rest and remember that there is hope, there is joy, there is light, and it's eternal. Mm-hmm. Because that's hard work to do. Yeah. It's hard work to do. You have to have a place to be able to come back and remember your birthright of resting and of knowing who you really are. Mm-hmm. And that piece about your birthright of resting, I really love to hear you say that that feels so countercultural in a world where it's like hustle 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 you know and mm-hmm. um and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be deeply of service and impactful and at the same time rest must be a part of that story in order for it to really be coming from source and not ego, I think. What do you what do you make of that? I think that it had rest is necessary so that you can be clear and purposeful and courageous in how you do your work. And again, mm-hmm. I really feel like practices like Nidra move you away from the linear kind of illusion. It changes space and time. Instead of you having mm-hmm. to go from A, B, C, D, E to all the way to Z, somehow there's an, things that descend and show you how to move from A to Z without all the other windy ways in which you could have gone if you were in your thinking mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes things more productive, more easeful, more inspirational, um, and I do think that it's, it's something that we really need. I feel like it's a message that people have been getting, you know, I've been seeing, um, you know, I like to look at patterns. So I've been seeing people really claiming their joy and their rest, mm-hmm. especially people who are doing work to help to heal their communities, because I think in this time, of pause and transition that we've had over the last 14 months, people were really doing their work, doing their work, doing their work. And from some of the friends that, that I have who, who work and do social justice work, I was getting calls and emails from people saying, Oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm Mm -hmm. so tired, you know? And so there was realization coming that, oh, wait a second, I need to create boundaries so that I can reclaim my rest and I can reclaim my joy. And then from that place, I can go back out and I can be more powerful, more effective and more clear about the work that I'm doing. That's wonderful. Yeah, that brings to mind for me, um, what do you see as the connection between um, a vibrant nidra practice and joy. Mm. Well, I have to go back to the very first time that I was ever introduced to what I would have called um, a shavasana at that time, like a guided shavasana. I didn't know that I was being guided through deep relaxation or yoga nidra because it wasn't really named at that point. Mm -hmm. that that's what was happening. But that 
first experience was deeply blissful mm. and deeply joyful and deeply still. Mm. And when I came back from that place and was in that kind of liminal space between sleeping and waking, it felt like I was being held. And at the same time, I had this realization that this joy and this peace and this bliss that I was feeling was not something external. Mm -hmm. It was like the foundation of who I really was. And I remember that I was with a person who I was dating at the time and as soon as we kind of came back and got up, I remember I was like, oh, how long can I hold on to this feeling? Because I'm feeling like this is who I am. Like this is not something, you know, but there's something else that's preventing me from feeling this way. And then I immediately kind of felt their vibration the person that I was with. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is a vibration that is almost the antithesis to this peace that I'm feeling right now. And so I really feel like Yoga Nidra connects us to our inner joy, our inner truth, which is joy. Yeah. Yeah. That's my experience of the practice is just that you emerge from it and it's like something in you. I almost see like a puzzle piece like slips into place deep inside. Mm, I <laughs> love kind that of visual. I'm getting. Yeah. I love that visual. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking of how, you know, and, feel weird I always like it's so interesting talking about these things and practicing the practices from our tradition and I I feel this razor's edge between what I know to be true in the practice and then also just my lived experience as a black woman in America mm-hmm. and one thing that's coming up for me in this conversation is I just had a flash in my head of when I was watching um, the Derek Chauvin trial, waiting to hear what the verdict was. And I were, something flashed into my head that was just a reminder that no matter what that decision was that the jury rendered, it didn't actually hold any weight as it relates to the value of George Floyd as a human. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel as a black woman in America. That's one thing that Nidra and meditation do for me is that there can sometimes be a lot of images telling me something very different than what and who I am. And, you know, 
yes, surrounding yourself with good people is important and your own kind of practices are important to remind yourself of who you are, but practices like Nidra bring you to that place. And then when you come back out into the world, it's almost easier to separate what you're being told you are by virtue of your skin color and what you know to be true. Does that make sense? Absolutely. This is this is the remembering. This is yeah. the emergence. This is the rebirth is that you get to release and let go of all the name and form. You know, at its essence, Yoga Nidra is a Laya yoga practice. It's a practice of yeah. dissolution. Yeah. It's a the greatest, well, I won't say the greatest, the greatest that I know, <laughs> Pratyahara <laughs> practice. And not and pratyahara to withdraw the senses so that you can expand back into your true nature, so that you can yeah. reassimilate back into your origin, to your source, and to your inner knowing. And once you have that taste, and it only needs to be a split second, mm-hmm. no one can ever take that away from you. Right. No one can ever take that away from you. Yeah. Yeah. And so that can be how yoga nidra can support that. If if any of this stuff gets internalized, which sometimes it does, I'm hearing that yoga nidra can be a support for that unlearning and for that, I don't know if that's a word of uninternalization. but let's it say is it now. is for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's say like, that's, I never thought about that. That's wonderful. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that that's why this practice in particular, um, which by the way, just gets deepened by some of the practices that lead to the Vishoka meditation, mm-hmm. that it is, one of, if not the most accessible practice. Yeah. Because this practice, from what I know right now, is being taught in the basements of churches. It's being taught to people who have never even thought about quote unquote yoga. Mm -hmm. And people are having deep, transformative healing experiences with this practice because it is truly the practice of surrendering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you um, feel that that surrender that we practice when we're doing Nidra, how does that support us in learning to receive Mm. I think because it actually helps us to fortify our trust and our faith Mm. and I think those are two really important qualities to build um and I think they're they're necessary for for everything um because you have to 
like I said before, partner with the unknown mm-hmm. and surrender into unconditional support that's always there, whether that is in the form of the earth beneath us, in the form of the ancestors whose names we may never know. Mm. And I feel that each one of us, and that's why Yoga Nidra is so incredible as is meditation, is that each one of us will have a completely unique experience. But it will be the experience of healing and transformation that we need if we allow it to happen. Yeah, that right there. I love that. It's not just what's coming to me in what you just said about the healing that we need is that that is so necessary. The web of life in some places has frayed and this practice can support us in that reweaving. So when I say that, I'm thinking about if you didn't have at various points in your life, this feeling that you are supported no matter what, the fact that you can build that relationship with the earth is a repair. Or if you didn't have you know, we just had Mother's Day. And for some people, that's a really hard holiday. Mm-hmm. If they didn't mm-hmm. have these images. And I'm one of those people. I didn't have that type of mother. Um, and building a relationship with Divine Mother. And in this case, Divine Mother in the form of sleep and repose. That's the mother that you can rely on unconditionally no matter what so i just love that feels like part of the new structure is that yes each of us has places in our web of life that's slightly frayed and yet we can do a practice that allows us to see our true nature and in seeing our true nature and being able to receive that vision we may also create new relationships within us and outside of us that help us to repair that fabric or to maybe even see that it just looked like the fabric was broken, but the, the integrity of it was still there because that, that is who and what we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're, we're really getting to now touch into the holographic nature of ourselves as opposed to what we think is real. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I um, have one last question for you that I really love to ask every guest that comes on the podcast. In some ways, we've covered it, but I'd love to hear more. From your perspective, Tracy, what does our collective liberation look like? Mm. That is a really beautiful question. Our collective liberation, I think, first of all, depends on us understanding what a collective is. Mm. Because I think that there are people who have definitions about the collective, and that collective is segmented 
into those who I consider to be my beloveds. And then those who I do not consider to be my beloveds are on the outside of the collective. Mm -hmm. So we need to really define for ourselves collective. And I think that if we, and this kind of goes back to a thread we talked about earlier, is doing the practices that allow you to become whole. Yeah. And when you become whole, you will understand what collective really means. Because it's not just, in my opinion, it's not just the every human being on the earth. It's every sentient being, mm -hmm. including the plants, including the animals. And it's everything that we can't see. It's the, yeah. the, the, the ancestors, like I said before, whose names we'll never know. It's the ancestors of the land that you're sitting on right now. It's all of the unseen. And this is what collective care can look like. And maybe we each have our own, you know, specific resonance of where we're going to focus our attention, but we still have awareness of the whole. And so I think that part of this re-emergence and this re-envisioning also includes re-education and admitting that we don't know everything. We don't know what we don't know we know. And that we need to be open to, to learning, to receiving, to being still, to, you know, doing all the things that allow us to connect to the person, to the plant, to the earth in ways that we never imagined might be possible. Mm. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, listeners, um, I want to invite you to go out and get Tracy's book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. You can find that at your local bookstore and you can find that at online bookstores. Thank you so much for listening and hope to have you back again soon. Thank you, Tracy, for being such an amazing guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great honor. Um, love speaking to you, and I'm glad we got to connect in this way because it's been far too long. Indeed. All right. Thank you.